we are excited to have you here today, Korean. That's how to pronounce the name, right? Yeah. Yes. Very good, uh, favorite. That's good. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you spending time with me today because this is a new month and I'm excited to hear the stories that you have that's going to impact our audience because we really understand that communication is valuable when people perceive the context behind the conversation. Yeah, that's great. Let's, let's do it. You know, yes. I got lots of uh, lots of uh, little stories for you along the way. Oh yeah, okay, okay. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Um, would you like to tell us more about who you are, what you do, and just give us a little background, if that's okay? Sure. My name is Karen Therick, and I'm the founder of a marketing strategy company called Strategy More Marketing Advisors. And uh, from that perspective, we are, what is it, uh, helping a lot of startup companies and perhaps uh, new initiatives within larger companies to get out into the marketplace, get that initial traction, scale in the marketplace, and make an impact, you know, of some kind, so that the brand becomes alive in people's minds. So that's the advisory part of that. I'm also a partner in a digital marketing company called Socialite Communications. And uh, that's the agency that we have. I've got a couple of partners. We have maybe 14 people over at the agency. And we help uh, Shopify merchants get online, stay online, grow online, that kind of thing. So we're using a lot of similar kinds of strategies from a brand perspective. And then, of course, all the tactical to get uh, onto advertising and such. That's amazing. Tell me more about Shopify and how it applies to the marketplace today. Well, Shopify, you know, if we look at it from the perspective of a platform, which is what it is, uh, there's well over a million stores, maybe a million, two, million, three stores on the Shopify platform right now. And why we chose to become a Shopify agency is because of the uh, the ecosystem. So Shopify agency, meaning you have to be a Shopify store to work with us. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, the ecosystem that Shopify has been able to put together, not only for a dead simple and robust platform for you to get your uh, online store up and running, but the ecosystem of partners, all the different apps and tools and, and people to help you get that uh, store site come alive, make that store site come alive, right? And so when we have a thorough understanding of who you are as a merchant and where you want to go in the marketplace, there's a ready tool set immediately available for you. That's why Shopify is such an important platform, right? And I love the fact that it's very user-friendly. I don't personally use Shopify, but I've been able to see people, merchants use Shopify and see the scaling in the business because you can see the real-time data. You can be able to understand your conversion traffic and your conversion events. If you convert it to your Facebook pixel, you can be able to see where people are coming from. How do you retarget those audiences to create that value that you're intending to to build within a community and a culture that is set up for your business? So I love the way that you mentioned Shopify. And when you think about businesses, we know that it takes about three years for a business to get established as a corporation or as as an established um, entity. But when you think about creating corporations from the perspective of growing and failing, what is the number one reasons why Actually, let me say this. What is the number one reason why companies and organizations and most definitely movements because it's a community, why do they fail over a short period of time when you can actually see a vision, but you can't really imply that vision? Well, even short periods, not long periods of time. You know, sometimes, you know, depth, you know, is not an immediate thing sometimes. If you take a look at dinosaurs, 
economically we can talk about dinosaurs you know so what you were they were the relevant creatures on earth at one time yeah 65 million years ago the meteorite shows up well that didn't wipe out all the dinosaurs immediately it was the start of global catastrophic climate change which killed the dinosaurs over a gradual period of time so death isn't instantaneous sometimes sometimes the relevance of what you are doing simply fades away but the very first thing to fade away is not your products the very first thing to fade away uh is your story and mm. the very first thing to catch fire is your story so it's the story that is that comes alive in your prospect's head or gradually diminishes relevance over time and that's so if the very first thing what i tell our clients is the very first thing the absolute very first thing that anybody sells is the story yeah now look, people don't buy you a story uh they won't buy anything else but it's not the story of you hey look at me my products look how great they are look at me how great i am is actually the story of your customer as hero. Mm. So the hero of the story and you know we can use all sorts of different story models, you know there's the big one called the uh monomyth or the hero's journey and you'll see that in movies like Star Wars and all the Greek uh, myths and such, right? And there's a lot of different uh, levels to that. Uh, but the dead simple one is what uh Pixar uses. And Pixar uses a very straightforward uh formula. and that is here's our hero everything was just fine then something happened then i had to go on a journey and there's all sorts of ups and downs and then we found nemo and everybody <laughs> lived happily ever after yeah. well that's the same kind of story that uh, you want to give to your your clients your prospects and it's them as hero now if they're if they're a, if they're the character as hero in that story that means that they are coming to you for some kind of inciting incident that happened to them and that they want you to help them out of pain and into gain. In getting out of pain and into gain. So what that makes you favor is the grand great wise wizard. Mm. And your products and services are simply the the tools to enable the promise of the story. You're giving them a magic incantation, an amulet, a sword. to help them battle through this to get from where they want to be to where they where they are to where they want to be and so the tools the magic amulet the incantation all that kind of stuff are your products and services okay and so when you position your products and services as those magic tools now you've got functional relevance and emotional significance in the story that your client is already telling themselves When you tell that story, they're going to ask you, "Hey, where can I buy some of these things, you know? Help me get out of pain, help me get the game." Mm. I love that. I really love the fact that you can be able to use those two to create that impression at the same time because like you said with Pixar, it's more so of a problem-solving situation and most companies really all companies are existing because they are solving one problem. And sometimes it's hard to find out one problem without understanding what your mission and vision statement is. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. You know, uh, we in uh, the uh, Shopify agency business we're in, we see a lot of uh, uh, initial merchants getting out there, and you know, their only real hope or desire at the beginning is, can I sell a product? 
maybe Canada. <laughs> right. And once they exhaust, you know, their mother, their cousins, and their brother and sister, you know, now we get into a bigger problem. You know, how do we prove up the value proposition in this uh, product so it appeals to a mass market? But if you're only in the business for making money, you know, by itself, that's sort of a soulless business. That's what I think. And so you need that grander mission vision. You know, especially things, you know, so you have a mission, vision, uh, Google way back when in the mid 90s, you know, their Google, their mission was to organize the world's information. Now they've gotten well past that as well, but yeah. the core business, the search engine, organize the world's uh, information. But you might actually have a moral mission as well. You might have a moral mission as well. And that is, you know, something beyond the transformational property that your product can do. You know, which is organizing the world's information. But the moral mission might be something like, you know, uh, to ensure, like if you go to Bill Gates, it might be something to ensure that no child experiences uh, poverty. Uh, no child goes to bed hungry. Uh, that we never have to suffer the scourge of malaria again. Mm. Those are much bigger moral missions, you know, because they imp imply a lot of things beyond a transactional dollar for a product receipt. Mm. Right? And that's the kind of stuff when you engage in moral missions, uh, it becomes bigger than just about you. It becomes bigger than the dollar for the product. And, and that is some things, some of the things that really carry a beginning entrepreneur through to the other side, because they have a real understanding of what they were trying to do with the business uh, at the very beginning. Uh, I was coaching a uh, client of mine just a few months ago. And uh, he was really struggling, really struggling with this business. Uh, it started off like this, went up even higher than just a huge crash, uh, partner problems, all sorts of customer problems, everything else. And I questioned him about why he started the company 10 years ago. And said, Kerry and I got something for you. And he pulled out a one pager that described in just beautiful, emotionally resonant detail why he started the business and why he called the business the name he called it. And in like four paragraphs, the entire vision and the emotional reasons, the spiritual reason why he started the company was right there. And why he was struggling with the company is that he completely abandoned this initial set of reasons, the initial vision. And he went to a strictly transactional, selling selling services for money. Right, mm. and he abandoned, and and it became a soulless operation. When it became a soulless operation, his business started imploding. You know, when he regained that initial vision, then it was a relatively simple step, set of steps to assemble the structure underneath him again to build the business that he originally wanted to create. So I think from what you said, it shows me that either he was not prepared. Or he was prepared and he didn't understand the circumstances that would come ahead. Well, what's the old line? The old line is no business plan, no business plan ever survives first contact with a customer. Mm, I like you that. Know, it, 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 it is the absolute truth. You know, the idea that you get know your market before you're in the market is dead wrong the vast majority of time. Uh, and so most entrepreneurs leap in and what they forget sometimes, and I do a lot of coaching with uh, startup entrepreneurs, especially out in the university here. So they're experts in the technology, experts in the science, and now they're starting a company, right? And most of them did not go get their PhDs to become 
uh, a salesperson or a marketer or, or, or even a product development person, right? But yeah. they've got this uh, little uh, business now. And what they don't really understand yet, but they similar to suspicion. This is suspicion back here as it comes together, you know, when the teeth start being bared, is that they've actually given birth to a little baby dragon. And the baby dragon needs to eat every single day. <laughs> and it doesn't care where that food is coming from. So every day, you know, like even to get a small business off the ground, and this is without paying yourself, maybe two to three thousand dollars a month. You know, and if I take a look at, you know, some of these agencies that we work with and things like that, they're spending $150,000, $200,000 a month just to keep the lights on. So where is all that food for that agency, the the baby dragon, <laughs> to keep fed? And so, and most of the time, you know, you're chasing the food. So the dragon has this huge appetite, that's your business, right? And the food's out here, it's like, you quickly lose sight of this mission and vision you have, right? And you're after the food, after the food in any way it can, because otherwise the dragon is going to uh, starve and it's going to eat you in the process. That's the problem, right? Mm. And so most people don't know what they're getting themselves into. And that's sort of a good thing because most of them would not have taken the risk if they had known what they were getting themselves into, right? And most people can survive. You know, they can survive and they can thrive if they go out and get the right help and get the right mentorship and they're coachable and, you know, that they have some availability resources. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think there's a misconception as well about people following leaders first. Yeah. Or, so how, how does that play a role in into their psyche when they're creating this practice on a consistent basis, like you said, being fed every day? Well, will we take a look at this idea, you know, like uh, leaders are only as good as the stories they narrate. So you might come up with a story as a leader, but it's got to be a great story. So a great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader. Mm. But a mediocre leader with a great story has the opportunity to become a great leader. And if you take a look at mass movements uh, throughout history, you know, there may be some very prominent celebrities in that movement. Uh, we talk about, you know, Indian independence movement in the in the uh, 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s in India. We talk, talk about uh, civil rights in the U.S. You know, you have multiple leaders all orbiting similar stories. There's core stories, there's other narratives that orbit that core story, and everybody is, is telling a similar set of stories. So the question becomes, who's the leader? Mm. And what I'll posit is that the leader is actually the story. And you need it to be the story because the story will, if it has legs, outlive you. Okay, And not only will it outlive you, it will energize people who can step into leadership and then take ownership of that story. And so the movement becomes bigger than you. Okay? And it's because the story is shareable, communicable, and it, it is relatable that you're able to broaden it beyond just you pushing forward. Hey, listen to me, listen to me. No, now the story becomes the leader and you happen to be one of the scenarios. It's a great place to actually create this intention every day because... Like on Clubhouse, I keep talking about Clubhouse almost on every episode now because it's an amazing platform where you can build conversations and stories. And I believe even if you think about like TEDx shows, nobody's selling anything. They're selling a story and that story sells itself. 
So when you have a story like you mentioned that is so impactful, what are the stories that can impact someone and how can they narrate that story to persuade anyone listening to them at any point in time? Well, the stories that are the most impactful are the stories that are most relevant to your audience, you know, and that's sort of a, sort of a convoluted, circuitous uh, way to say it. But what that really means is that you have to understand your customer, your audience, better than they understand themselves. Okay. Right? And at least when it comes to the context of whatever you are talking about. And for the most part, you know, if you're an insurance salesperson, if you are a car salesperson, if you are an IT entrepreneur, you know, information technology entrepreneur, new software, you've probably seen the current situation that your prospect is in a hundred times, maybe a thousand. And so you know all the variations and nuances and things like that. Like, you know, your 12-year-old, your 14-year-old daughter might come to you and say, hey, dad, I just found a new car I can buy, you know, when I get my permit. I'm going to buy this car. Oh, well, great. What kind of car is it? Well, it's only 600 bucks. Now, she can only see independence. Mm. Right? What you see as an adult is 600 bucks. What kind of car is this? Right. <laughs> you know, how am I going to maintain it? Is it going to fall apart? Where are you going to park? How are you going to afford insurance? And it's all these things that you know better than your daughter knows because your daughter is only thinking about it from a beginner's lens. Yeah. Okay, and does not understand the situational context that she's getting herself in. So when it comes to understanding all these things, you have to understand the deep motives uh, that are going through your customer's head and the narratives that they are already telling themselves. And the narrative that they're telling themselves may not be the one you want them saying. Mm. You know, they you may not want them telling uh, uh, themselves, right? It, because they may be very naive and very simplistic and the situation they're getting themselves into may be fraught with a lot more opportunity and danger, mm. right? So we have to be able to, uh, you know, th- again, this puts you back in that role of that wise wizard. You know the situational context better than anybody else. And you know the, uh, the what is it, uh, all the traps in the path ahead of them, the journey ahead of them, you know all the opportunities, you know that they should rest here, climb that, don't go over there, all of those kinds of things. And you really become a mentor to them in that process. And in that, through that mentorship, you will provide them with that tool set, you know, to, uh, to get them from pain into gain. Exactly. I love that. Speaking of concepts, what would you say are the seven pillars and the seven primary pillars of culture and how do they work to drive an organization forward at any level? Sure. Well, culture, you know, ultimately what what we say is the best definition of culture I've ever heard is the knowledge used to survive and thrive in an environment. So knowledge, culture is knowledge. And in my book, uh, so I wrote a book last year called The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell, which is where you're pulling this this front portion of the culture for uh, yeah. right? And the culture, you infuse it with the seven stories. The seven pillars, you infuse with the seven stories to make your business, your enterprise, your organization come alive. So the seven pillars, they are the always-on operating system. The always-on operating system that guides behavior in the organization even when there's no one to watch, reward, or punish that behavior. Mm. People know what to do. They know what's expected. They know what not to do, right? They know what the direction they're going. So these seven pillars are present whether you want them to be or not. The 
question for you as a leader is, have you deliberately engineered these seven pillars in order to produce the outcomes you want your organization to achieve? Yeah. So I'll give you the seven pillars. Uh, pillar one is the, the social organization. Is this a flat structure? Is it a hierarchical structure? You know, uh, what is your place in those in those uh, structures? You know, uh, is it an anarchy? That, that could be social structure. It could be any, you know, it could be everybody for themselves, right? Uh, which is also a form of government. But you know, people need to know how they fit. You know, what their roles are, what their status levels are, uh, below them, above them, what they can aspire to, and. You know, there's nothing worse than an employee that doesn't think that there's opportunity for them in the organization, you know, and that's just going to be bad news for them and bad news for you. Uh, pillar two is all about language and writing. So what's the verbiage, uh, uh, what's the vernacular used terminology that uh, is part of the insider language? So when you use certain types of, uh, of uh, verbs and, and adjectives, uh, nouns, you can quickly identify who's in and who's out. So if I was in the commercial real estate business, for example, uh, I might use the word, the acronym uh, TIs. Hey, we got to get those TIs down. We got to get those TIs up. Well, to an insider, TIs means tenant improvements or tenant improvement allowance, yeah. right? which is some kind of a cash incentive to build out your, your premises. Well, somebody outside that organization may not know what that is, but it is immediately identifiable internally. Uh, here in my hometown, we have a uh, world-class, global, world-class uh, pet food uh, manufacturing operation called Champion Pet Foods. They deliberately, absolutely deliberately, and they ruthlessly enforce the calling of their factories. Don't call it that. It's a kitchen. It's a kitchen. Kitchens produce food. Factories produce pellets. And they produce kibble pellets, right? And in fact, they have, uh, they produce dog food that is human grade. So it's very high end. It comes out of a kitchen. There's no factory here. Okay. And I've been in presentations with them where they corrected me <laughs> because my not default is to call it the factory. Right? No, Gary, it's a kitchen. <laughs> it's a right. Kitchen. <laughs> um, so uh, third pillar is religion. Now, people sometimes get a little concerned, Gary, and they're mixing up a business with religion, you know, I don't want to... But we're not talking about religion the way of what you worship as a god. You, you know, hopefully you're not worshiping the boss as a god, right? You know, it's probably time for you to leave if that's what's being demanded. But religion in this uh, sense means what you worship in the highest values of the organization. You know, so what are the highest priorities, values of the organization? Uh, what are the traditions of that organization? You know, what, there's a lot of things that happen in religion that uh, are absolute cues for marketing. In fact, the best marketing takes its cues from the best religions. And I don't want to say best religions, the most prominent religions. Because religion, like you know, Judaism has been around perhaps for about 5,000 years now, perhaps, right? Uh, Christianity has been around for a little over 2,000 years. Um, Islam uh, uh, since the 600s, something like that. The reason these religions are so prominent is because their stories are so communicable. They are highly relevant, functionally relevant, emotionally significant, spiritually come alive stories. And in fact, you can't describe any one of those three religions. And those three religions are amongst the thousands of religions that have ever existed. And there's still hundreds more that exist today, but in very fractional form. 
You know, no one really hears of the Zoroastrians anymore, right? But they're around. <laughs> they used to be a very strong religion at one yeah. time. So what makes these religions prominent is that they have highly communicable stories and they tell their uh, adherents to move those stories forward, proselytize, tell everyone those stories. And that's how you bring everybody in, into that tent. So religion is all about, you know, what are the values and how do we communicate those values? And what are the, the ceremonies around those values? What are the sacred texts around those values? All that kind of stuff. What is the big story? Okay, four, pillar four is all about forms of government. And by the way, how are we doing here? Is this This is good. Uh, yeah, I'm actually enjoying okay. this. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> uh, pillar four is all about forms of government. And uh, forms of government is simply about uh, the way we make decisions around here. Mm. And the decisions, you know, is this group consensus? Is it a democracy? Is it an autocracy? As long as everybody knows how decisions are being made, everybody can choose to be a part of that process or to bow out. You know, in fact, none of these pillars are either right or wrong. You can do whatever you want of them. As long as everybody understands what the pillar is and how it operates. So, you know, the only way you get ahead around here is by being related to the boss. Mm. Or the only way you get ahead around here is by doing great work, which is a meritocracy. Now, both of those are perfectly fine as long as everybody knows how you get ahead around here. It's only when the nephew says, you know, hey, why did Bob get uh, get uh, promoted? And they say, well, Bob's doing great work, but I'm your nephew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and at that point in time, his understanding of the rule set has been violated. Right. You see where I'm going? Mm-hmm. And conversely, what, I'm doing great work with the nephew. The no good nephew is being promoted. It's been something that's been violent. The culture is all about the understanding, the knowledge you use to survive and thrive. Okay, uh, pillar five is all about economics. Uh, and economics is how you create value. And each one of your people should be able to tell anybody how your business creates value. What are the inputs? What are the outputs? What are the processes in between to take that input, create products and services around it, and put something out in the marketplace for someone to buy? And so if they can't do that, then they really don't understand the organization. They really don't understand the business. Because how do you know what that value is and your relationship to the contribution of that value? And even the receptionist at the front uh, front desk, you know, has a contribution to the final output of, of the firm. Mm. You know, and, it, it, it's just, and she needs to understand how that fits. At the very least, your top... Uh, uh, people, you know, your uh, top level C-suite and perhaps the level or two underneath it needs to understand and be able to relate that in a, in a functional way. Otherwise, they can't possibly contribute to contribute to that um, value creation in a way that is significant. Mm. Uh, you know, they're just doing their job instead of committing their heart, mind, and soul. Yeah. You know where I'm going with that? Yeah. Okay. Pillar six is all about the arts. And the arts in this case is about taking that core utility of value, whatever that core utility is, and lifting it to the level of an art. Okay, so you can have a hot dog. A hot dog is a hot dog, and you boil it up, put it into a a bun. But imagine what that hot dog could become in the hands of a world-class chef like Wolfgang Puck. 
Would you mm. expect it just to be? No, it will be grand. It'll be grandiose. You know, it will be a culinary experience in the hand of an artist. Yeah. And so the one thing that core value I'm bringing up like this, and you know, the, one of the most relatable stories that is that before the iPhone came along, you had a choice of all these brick-looking. Uh, phones from Nokia, BlackBerry, only BlackBerry is a smartphone. But wow, when I saw that iPhone, oh, oh, you know, it's not only the aesthetic appeal of the design, but it's also the aesthetic of the of the way the software works. You know, this idea of everything. Wow, this just all snaps together, and they have outthought me in the way I will interact with it. It is an artistic rendering, and it is an artful experience to me. Yeah. So you want to lift it to the level of art, and we all have that opportunity with anything and everything we're doing. So we can do the bare minimum to deliver the core utility, or we can live it to, uh, or we can uh, deliver the level of an art. And the final uh, pillar, pillar seven, uh, is all about customs and tradition. And uh, the customs and tradition part is, you know, what do we understand as the legacy of our culture? You know, the, you know, what do we celebrate? On a regular basis, so we we celebrate things like Thanksgiving. We celebrate things like you know uh, uh, what is it, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Certainly, religious festivals of various kinds, Easter, Christmas, you know, all those kinds of things. And our lives would be much poorer if we didn't have these customs and traditions because they reinforce the values. They reinforce the values, and they may reinforce the government. They reinforce the other other pillars. So, in a lot of ways, this is the glue that keeps these other six pillars together. Because we now come around and celebrate, we venerate, and so those seven pillars they work together. They work together, and when they work together, and you infuse them with seven stories, everything comes alive. And so the organizations that you really see, you know, talked about these days, and are actually delivering a bottom line as well. Take a look at Apple now. And Apple came back from, you know, what they thought was the abyss, right, when Jobs first came back, and it's a 2.3, 2.4 trillion dollar company now. Who would have guessed that? You know, how do they do that? The ultimate thing about these kind of companies is the stories they tell,、mm. which results in the products they deliver. Right? You tell a stupid story, you deliver stupid products. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Now, great stories, the imagination stories of what could be, and you embody it in a product. Everything comes alive. I want that. I didn't know I wanted an iPad until I saw an iPad.、Mm. I thought I wanted a smaller laptop. <laughs> right? Right. When I saw that iPad. What? I want that iPad. And it was something that triggered in the back of your head, and everything, all the lights came on at the same time. That's the product I'm buying. And it's amazing that you mentioned that. I love that you said that because if you didn't know about something till you find, that's when you needed the most. It's not that it wasn't existing before. It's just that you were not aware of its existence, and that's where the, the thin line is drawn. That that is where the thin line is drawn. You know, in、uh, in a lot of ways.、Uh, People live in what I call latent pain.、And、the latent pain is simply, you know, they live with it because they don't think it's a solution. When you have active pain, you come out and you see the tire in your car low. You say,、ah, "I'll fill it up a little later." But the next day you come out and you see the tire in your car flat. Now that becomes an active pain.、Mm. You're going to have to go and fill that car up. And a lot of the times, you know, like the guy,、uh, I had a latent pain with that、uh, with my laptop. You know, I I wanted something smaller to take along with me. 
And I just couldn't find something with enough RAM and enough battery life. But when that iPad came on, bang, it just happened. My latent pain became an active pain, and I went and bought the product to solve my pain. Because now I have a solution for it. Mm. And you can take a look at that as well, favorite. you know, in uh, various types of uh, social movements as well. Yeah. You know, uh, all sort of, you know, whether it's LGBTQ or Black Lives Matter or, or anything that's going on, you know, even... Uh, even democracy, you know, with, you know, who gets to vote. I thought everybody got to vote in a democracy, right? Uh, those kinds of things, you know, when people philosophically say, and this is a philosophical thing even, right? When people say, this is wrong, okay? And this is how we make it right. You are going to quickly test whether the population has that as a story in their heads. Because what they do at the very beginning, when I say story, it starts with a big idea. Then it comes to a set of key messages, and then it comes alive in a strategic narrative, right? So they buy into the big idea, then tell me more. Those are the key messages. And then it's the, the strategic narrative that they buy into. And then it's only after they, they bought into those three things as part of the overall narrative that uh, they are able to buy into your products and services. I love that. I love that. Now, it, it really tells me a lot about storytelling. Think about Apple, like, like the events, like the, just the previous event they just had. When you look at every keynote presentation, one thing is certain and is always consistent. Simplicity. Like that Picha Kucha kind of presentation is so very much appealed to the audience based on design rather than having over 20% of text in the image. And it really sends a message because people are able to understand what is being spoken of so they can visualize it for themselves without being forced to read, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, the iPod, when it first came out, not even in a flash drive, but in the, the little micro disc. Yeah. So it's a micro hard drive, right? Uh, the simplest big idea was 10,000 songs in your pocket. That was the big idea. That's one of their big ideas, right? And uh, around that iPod. And that now ignites people's imagination as to what's possible. And when you ignite people's imagination, they will be actively seeking for that solution. Mm. That's deep. I love that. I really, really love that. Now, the last question I want to ask, and this is very important to the seven pillars that you just mentioned. How does someone that's listened to, listening to this right now create their own seven stories to move people, to move emotions, to move mountains, to move stories, like stories that like, they can tell that people can tell others? How can they put all this together and stay consistent to their brand value? Sure. We didn't take a lot to talk a lot about the stories today, but I'm going to send you an infographic around uh, the seven stories to create and such. Okay. And uh, by the way, I'm also going to, for the first five of your listeners that tell me that they heard me on your show, I'm going to send them a free Kindle copy of the book. Okay. Right? Uh, so seven essential stories, charismatic leaders tell you can find it on Amazon today. These seven stories, uh, I'm going to quickly just rattle them off. Right? I'm going to send you the infographic and such, right? Uh, but these stories are primal. These are stories that your people and your clients are actively searching for in their heads to come to a resolution about what you are all about, what your meaning is all about. The seven stories are creation, origin, how did you begin? Uh, our identity, values, and beliefs. What are our highest priorities? Okay? What are our absolute understandings of the world? 
even if we can't prove it. Mm. Even if we can't prove it, but we know it to be true. That's a belief, right? Beliefs are something you know to be true, but you can't prove to be true. Correct. Um, the big idea, the central organizing uh, concept that brings everything we do to orbit around the central idea, that central sun, right? Everything else is in orbit. The planets around that orbit of that sun. Uh, the enemy we face, and that can be—it uh, doesn't have to be an individual, but it can be a challenge. You know, so it's a challenge to overcome. It can be something that we fight for or fight against. So what is the enemy we face? Nothing uh, gets people moving uh, more rapidly with more energy than to show them a very potent enemy in front of them. Mm-hmm. And that enemy can be simply, it can be as simple as graft. You know, it can be bribery, corruption. You know, that it can be that. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, it was the war on drugs. Haven't won that one yet. <laughs> but it's, you know, but it, it's, it's a central organizing idea on this enemy that we face. But we need something that we are either fighting for or fighting against. Uh, story five is all about the mighty winds. And the mighty winds are all about the prevailing macro trends that will power your sail ship. It's not a power boat. It's a sail ship. Either forward or you are fighting against it, you're counter to the wind, or if the wind refuses to billow the ship sails at all. And these macro winds, you know, most people go out and build a company without really understanding the macro trends uh, that are uh, prevailing, right? The macro trends are things like societal trends, technological trends, economic, environmental, environmental, political, legislative trends. If you are with the wind, your ship is going to be buoyed for you. You're against the wind, the ship will be capsized. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter, right? Uh, prior to the uh, internal combustion engine uh, in the 1880s, 1870s, uh, there were actually cars built with steam and battery technology, right? And it just happened to be that uh, electricity, the electrical grid, especially in the United States, just couldn't be pushed out as far in the 1910s, 1920s as service stations for gasoline fuel. Yeah, and that's why the gas. That's why the internal combustion engine took off because the, you know you could get that to rural America much faster than the electrical grid. The, you know the entire thing to do it, and so at that point in time, you don't want to you don't want to be betting on battery technology cars, even though they were around. You know you might do it today, but in the ensuing 80, 90, 100 years, you know you you would have been an absolute multi 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 millionaire, maybe billionaire by by investing in uh, internal combustion technology. And that's yeah. where all the fortunes were made. Uh, so we want to really understand what those winds are. Uh, those first five stories are like the left side of the equation. And if all those five stories are believable, then there's an equal sign. And then you say, well, then if that's true, this is the journey we must undertake. And so this is what we got to do now. You know, and uh, we either, uh, if we stand still, we're going to die. Because the world's always changing, right? The technology is always changing. You know, uh, so you have to keep moving forward. So stagnation is not an option. But we've got to move forward. And here's the direction we're going to move forward. And finally, story seven is the why we will win story. And the why we will win story takes all the previous six stories puts them all together and adds what we call keystone elements. And keystones are what ensure the win. Mm -hmm. So it's one telling, and now we have a keystone, at least one, maybe more, that will ensure your people of the win. And here's some keystone elements. Uh, Superior people, superior technology, superior strategy. God is with us. Uh, Death will be a part.
taunt, so death ground. If we don't do something, that's like he's doing, right? That's a great story. Uh, in 1519, uh, Hernan Cortez uh, fled Cuba with 630 men uh, to land on the shores of Veracruz in modern-day Mexico. And he wanted to conquer the Aztec Empire for himself before the governor of Cuba, his, his brother-in-law, uh, Diego, Diego's last name was, but uh, he was Diego Velasquez, I believe, and he wanted that glory for himself, and so he lands with 630 men on the shores, he scuttles a couple of his ships and sends another one home, okay, and now his men are on the beach and they have no choice but to follow him, because what he said is, back there in Cuba is death ground. Okay, and death ground, there's mutiny charges. <laughs> wow. You might be hung. In fact, there's probably, you are probably going to be hung, right? And so in front of us, though, you know, if we stay here, we're also going to die. But in front of them was over 200,000 square kilometers of Aztec territory and 5 million Aztecs. <laughs> 5 million Aztecs. And what happened because of the death ground and you know the sudden motivation that takes over and then some good political dealings with the other indian tribes around the decreed alliances two years later in 1521 the entire aztec empire surrendered to cortez and his allied forces and that's the kind of power that you will have in the why we will win story when you infuse it with those kinds of of keystone elements so and there's plenty of stories like that all over the place but these seven stories, here's what really goes on. You take those seven stories, you infuse them into that culture, and you make the entire place come alive. If you don't deliberately do it, your people are going to tell their own stories. They may not be the stories you want them to tell. <laughs> they tell themselves, right? So you have to be very deliberate about this, because when you put it all together, it is a self-correcting, self-propelling machine that you will create. There's the direction. Here's why we do it. Here's how we do it. Here's the energy, fuel, and all the initiatives around getting forward in that direction. And people come alive on their own. Leadership then becomes, you know, simply pointing now, okay, instead of whipping and cajoling and dragging, which is a lot of what poor leaders do. Okay. Wouldn't you want, wouldn't you rather have it the other way? And that's why I wrote the book. It's amazing that you said that because with poor communication comes stress and you can hear stress in someone's voice. And with brand consistency, you can be able to disseminate that information to many people as quickly as possible because there's one outstanding feature. And it's like like you mentioned, if you if you can't tell that story, that story will tell itself in a different way, just like a broken telephone. So you want to keep that same consistent story with the same tone so that the right person can feel that emotion when it's being spoken about. And when someone hears something, they kind of understand what is being said. But if they don't feel emotionally attached to it, it's like a passive text. So you don't want to be that kind of person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like a brand is nothing without emotional significance. Oh, yeah. And, and the brand narrative is basically what we're doing here. You know, so this is a leadership book. But the opposite side of it, it is actually a book about market leadership as well. These are the same kind of stories and cultural elements you have to infuse into the marketplace. And so it's the opposite side of the same coin. Exactly. I believe that too. Wow. Definitely. These are the seven pillars of culture that people will definitely need to take in. Make sure you take notes, rewind this podcast, 
rewind this vodcast, make sure you're able to understand what we're talking about here because this is where value is poured into. This is what is going to save you five years, 10 years. You need to understand that what you plant today is what is going to grow tomorrow. And those things are very simple, practical applications, but people don't take them practically. They just think, oh yeah, I'll wait till tomorrow and tomorrow never comes. So you always have to stay consistent. And I love those seven pillars. I can't wait for, for, I can't wait to see the infographics. I can't wait to see that thing because I can't wait to at least understand that It's not about what you see. It's about how you see it. And that there's a big difference between those two. And I really appreciate you for that, Korean. Really good favor. Uh, Favor, once again, uh, for the first five of your listeners that uh, email me at Korean at strategypeak.com. I'll get that for your show notes. Uh, And tell me that they saw me on your show. I'm going to send them a free copy of the Kindle book. Awesome. And how else can people connect with you? How can they find you? So you can come and uh, you can find me at strategypeak.com. So strategy as in mountain peak, one word, .com. And uh, there's over 100 blog posts all about marketing and strategy there. You can have a good time just romping through that. Uh, take a look at my book on Amazon. It's called The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell. It's not very expensive. And uh, download that infographic that uh, we're going to put up on favorite site. And, uh, you know, you will get going on this right away. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Catch us in the show notes. Listen to um, pod.link forward slash we don't play to get all your podcasts all the time. Same time, same place. You know, we're here every week. Even now on podcasts on Apple, it says that we update our our podcast semi-weekly. That's a big word. Semi-weekly just means that we are always here to stay. We're always here to add value. So make sure you catch up because these episodes are going nowhere. Thank you so much, Korean, for being here. You have added so much knowledge, and I hope other people can be able to apply this to their daily lives on a daily basis. Favor, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Anytime.